This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. And welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne, and this is an independent England supporters podcast. We're looking at the European Championships that England have participated in in the run up to this year's tournament. We've already looked at 1980. You can find that episode by searching back uh, through your chosen podcast provider. We spoke with Les Gasson and what an interesting story he had to tell us. Let's crack on with the next episode. England missed out on the 1984 European Championships in France after failing to qualify, having been drawn against Denmark, Greece, Hungary and Luxembourg. And the outgoing manager, Ron Greenwood, said, You can't disguise the fact that this is a very good group for us. Now, Bobby Robson had been at the helm since 1982. We were pipped to the post by Denmark, and I think it could be seen as the beginning of Denmark's presence on the world stage, which would see them make a huge impression at the World Cup of 1986. We finished a point behind Denmark. This despite a 9-0 win over Luxembourg. But there was a 0-0 draw at home to Greece and a 1-0 Wembley defeat to Denmark in 1983, which sealed our fate. So on to 1988. West Germany won the right to host the tournament with five votes ahead of a joint bid from Norway, Sweden and Denmark, who gained just one vote. And... There was a bid from England, obviously unsuccessful. Again, it was an eight-team, two-group tournament that ran from the 10th to the 25th of June across eight West German cities. Didn't, however, include Berlin, which West Berlin at the time was part of West Germany. Other participating nations included the Soviet Union, the Netherlands and the Republic of Ireland, who were managed by Jack Charlton, who had won the World Cup with England 22 years earlier and he'd taken the Republic to their first ever major tournament. Now these three nations, the Soviets, the Netherlands and the Republic of Ireland would be in England's Group 2. Group 1 featured hosts West Germany, Italy, Spain and Denmark and there would be no space for holders France. Now, England qualified for 88 after finishing ahead of Yugoslavia, Northern Ireland and Turkey without losing a game and only drawing once, that with Turkey, 0-0 in Izmir. It did include the 8-0 home win against the Turks and goals were spread around the team. Gary Lineker getting five in qualifying, Barnes got three, Beardsley, Waddle and Brian Robson with two each. Now, Bobby Robson had experienced the World Cup two years earlier in Mexico. Gary Lineker was, of course, the Golden Boot winner. But we'd been expelled at the hands and magical feet of Maradona. However, England fans' hopes were high and Robson took 20 players to Germany. They were two goalkeepers, Peter Shilton and Chris Woods, 
Defenders, Gary Stevens, Kenny Sansom, Dave Watson, Tony Adams, who was the youngest player at 21 years old, Viv Anderson, Mark Wright and Tony Dorigo. Midfielders, Neil Webb, Brian Robson, who was the captain, Trevor Stephen, John Barnes, Chris Waddle, Steve McMahon, Peter Reed, and Glenn Hoddle. And up front, Peter Beardsley, Gary Lineker, who at the time was playing in Barcelona, and Mark Haightley, who at the time was with Monaco, alongside Glenn Hoddle. Now, England had warmed up for the tournament with a Rouse Cup victory after a win against Scotland and a draw against Colombia. They then beat Switzerland 1-0 in Lucerne in France before coming back to play non-league Aylesbury United on the 4th of June. Now you can search back on previous episodes of the Three Lions podcast as we covered this particular match in more detail. And they also released a pre-tournament song called All The Way. And speaking of music, ITV used their tried-and-tested theme for the previous World Cup and one that had also been used for Saint and Greavesy. Now, I just about remember this tournament. I was 10 at the time, and I remember being flabbergasted at the result against Ireland, thinking, this couldn't happen to England. I then, however, do have some happy memories uh, of the following games. Uh, I was on holiday with my family uh, and watched the Holland and the Soviet Union games in Grand Canarian bars with my granddad and indeed the uh, the amazing final where Marco van Basten scored that superb volley. Now, it only came out afterwards that Gary Lineker was, at the time, suffering from hepatitis and it wasn't the first time that Bobby Robson was crucified by the press. As during and after the tournament the knives were often out for him from certain sectors. It was, in fact, a tournament with no nil-nils, no sendings off, no extra time, no penalties. But it was one, as I say, with three England defeats. Now, let's talk to someone who was there. Now I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast as we carry on our look back at England's participation in the European Championships. This time we're going back to 1988. And I'd like to welcome host of the besotted Brentford podcast and England fan, Billy Grant. Billy, hello there. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Yourself? Oh, I'm, I'm not too bad, actually besotted the Brentford podcast which you host isn't it that's correct yeah that's right myself and Dave Lane would be running it since early 90s actually when it started off as a paper fanzine it sort of morphed into a podcast a blog video blog you know events we just do all sorts of stuff you know anything Brentford football related we have a we have a bit of a laugh it's, it's quite good it's amazing actually how it's sort of progressed from as you say paper fanzines to now audio podcasts how technology has gone that's right. Similar type thing, except for writing it, you're just talking it. This is our European Championships podcast. In between supporting Brentford, you are an England regular, aren't you? I, yes, I am. I've been to 14 tournaments, I think it is now as well. Seven or eight World Cups and seven or eight European Championships. I'm not sure exactly what the order is. Germany, 
a Euro 88 in Germany was actually my first ever England tournament that I went to. I, I remember wanting to go to 84, which I think it was in France, I think it was an 84. That's right, because we didn't qualify yeah. for that, did we? No, that's right. So it didn't quite happen. So uh, I made sure that um, 88 was going to be my first tournament. And also it's because I just started working. I just just left uni. There I was with a bit, bit of a pay packet, bit of a salary in my pocket. So I just thought, mm. tell you what, go home and away for Brentford as I did then. But I said, I'd like to uh, venture out and go and see England play abroad. So I made England Euro 88 in Germany, my first England tournament. And it's interesting to see how far... England and the Euros and everything have come since then because obviously I'm not being funny obviously you know 88 that's it's, it's quite a long time ago so, 32 you know, years yeah 32 years so you, <laughs> I've got an okay memory a pretty good memory but you've still got a kind of sort of scratch beneath the surface to, to remember a lot of things that were going on and you just didn't realize kind of how what the word is it's sort of Primitive is probably not the word the tournament was, but it's very, very much in its embryonic stage because it wasn't it wasn't the biggest tournament in the world for start the no. Euros then. It was, uh, but it was it was good. It was quite exciting. I mean, it's it's what funny because in those days I just I, I hadn't really been to that many England matches on the terraces before that tournament. I used to actually work at Wembley, which is quite funny. So all the way from the early in the mid eighties, you know, when I was at school and college, I used to work. At, at Wembley Stadium so the way that I used to kind of see me England matches I, was, I used to work behind the bars uh, and when the bars used to close what they did is that you know you get there and you start working at say midday the bars would get open the gates at one thirty. the bars will be busy for about an hour and three quarters and by about quarter to three the bars would really quieten down and then uh, then afterwards I'd sort of pop out of the hill it wasn't really allowed to but I used to pop out and go and watch the match for about sort of kind of half an hour, 35, 40 minutes. And after I'd pop back for half time and then I'd serve at half time and then I'd catch the second half of the match. So that's, that was me sort of kind of catching my England matches at Wembley during the 80s because, uh, like I said, she was a student at the time. But the, the funny thing about it is that the only match that I wasn't able to do that for was uh, I was working at England versus Scotland. And, uh, <laughs> and that was funny, right? Uh, the Scots came down, lower everywhere. And I remember sort of you turn up for work and normally it gets quiet, then it builds up to a certain time. The Scots were in the ground early, at the bar early, and right. literally you were just working your socks off, pulling pints, pulling more pints the whole time. You know what I'm saying? And it got to the game. I was thinking, right, I'm going to pop out and see the game. But no, the Scots didn't even bother going watch the match. They just <laughs> stayed in the bar for the, for the whole match. So I had to work for the full 90 minutes of the match while these mad Scots were just like completely drinking the place dry. God, so uh, I never did see England-Scotland when I was behind the bar. So I decided before Euro 88, I thought it was a little warmer. I went with my mate Dave Thompson, DLT, Dave DLT Thompson. He was my flatmate at uni. I said, tell you something, let's go to see uh, England versus Scotland. It's friendly, inverted commas, the Rouse Cup, I think it was. Oh, yeah. um, so that was, that was the warm-up to uh, Euro 88. We went down to Wembley and like I said to you, you know, Peter Shilton, Tony Adams, Kenny Sampson, you know, Gary Stevens, Brian Robson, Trevor Stevens, Neil Webb, Barnsley, all these wow. lot in the side. Gary Lineker, of course, was in there. Peter Beardsley at the time. And I said to him, oh, yeah, we've got to see Scotland, see what England's been getting the vibe. So when we go to Euro 88, and I have to admit, it was kind of a little bit like slightly rabbit in the headlights because it was a little bit feisty, should I say. <laughs> Probably the best way to describe it. There was a lot of activity happening literally everywhere that you stood. There was like, you know, to your left, to the right, 
people in the sort of the lower tier trying to get onto the up tier. You tried to walk down the stairs at Wembley and, and, and uh, you know, it wasn't the best of uh, experiences because you got your trousers wet and your feet wet from, you know, from people uh, who couldn't be bothered to find the toilet, but just, uh, you know, just uh, you just use the, the stairways to, to release themselves of, uh, relieve themselves <laughs> of the pressures on their groin. <laughs> And that was what Wembley was like, but I mean, it yeah. was it was probably some. I remember DLT's going, "Cool, Brian, Bill, this is um, it's a bit moody." You know, what I'm saying, do, do you do you really want to go to uh, to Euro '88? I'm like, "Yeah, Dave, it'll be fine. It'll be fine." You know, so um, so that was it. So we sort of kind of set off on our plans for Euro '88. So this was, let's say, it was held in Germany, um, in West Germany, because it was it was still a divided nation at the time, and we were drawn against Ireland. Holland and the USSR. Now, did you did you get out there for all of it, or was it just did you pick and choose your games? How, how did it all begin? Well, and again, this just goes to show you what a, a tournament virgin I was, because uh, you know, ever since this day, you know, I, I don't think I've ever done this again in all the other sort of thirty tournaments I've been to. But I just thought to myself, you know, the thing about Euro eighty eight, the Euros in those days, it was really small. Considering, you know, what they're trying to do now and they've expanded it to so many teams and, you know, I think you can get through if you're in third place. You know, it's it's ridiculous the amount of groups. Euro eighty eight, there are there are eight teams. Right? You know, <laughs> it was brilliant. West Germany, Italy, Spain and Denmark in one group, Soviet Union, Netherlands, Republic of Ireland and England in the other group. Three matches each in the groups. And then whoever won, the two tops went to the semi-final, then the final, boom, and it was done. And if you think about it, that was kind of like a tournament of beauty. In reality, it is a great format, I think. Just get it done, bang. Get it done. The group games, England's first group game, I think, was on the Sunday the 12th of, uh, of June. Mm. And that was against Ireland. And uh, and they were oh, I say they were done, but, <laughs> but they were they were done by the 18th of June. You know, they were on the way home. So a week later, they played three games in six days. So, but if you think about them, you know, the amount of time that people have to take work off work to go to tournaments and try and plan their life around it. You take two weeks, some people three weeks, some people take four weeks off. In a strange way, you've got a tournament that was literally from when it started on the 10th of June to when it finished on the 25th of June, the final. It was like literally two weeks. So you could actually be in a country for two weeks and see a whole tournament. Coming back to about, you know, my planning for this one, I, like I said, you had never done a, a tournament before. I didn't know about the military planning that you had to do for England matches or anything like that, especially in those days, because obviously football violence was rife. There was mad kind of rivalry between all the different countries and stuff like that. You know, it was the days when you didn't really wear too many colours when you were travelling, you know, travelling anywhere for football, you know, particularly at home and stuff like that. So it was kind of a, a different scenario. So... I thought to myself, tell you what, you know, England were favourites for to win this. Were we? Big, big favourites to Yeah, oh. yeah, we were, we, were, we were one of the favourites to win. Because also, if you look at it, the group that we had was deemed, you know, in one group you had West Germany, Italy, Spain and Denmark. Okay. Yeah. You know, so you've got West Germany and Italy and one side of it. So we were on the other side, which was, you know, Soviet Union, um, Holland, Republic of Ireland and England. And we thought, well, you know, there we go, Republic of Ireland and Soviet Union, you know, we'll... Easily, we, we, we'll finish in the top two of that. Yeah. So, again, in my forward planning, I'm thinking, okay, right, so the first match is against Ireland, okay? Second match, tell you what I'll do is, if I, you know, if you get for the third match and then you can go out there for third match and semi-final and final, you're there for, you'll be there for a week. <laughs> Unfortunately, like I said, it's the, the last, probably the last time I ever tried to do one of those because it was a complete and utter fluff. So I actually only planned to go out from 
England's third match, hoping that's going to be the match that we're going to either have qualified or already qualify, and I could move on from then. So I actually watched the first two matches back at home. Oh, I see. Uh, well, let's have a chat about those from what you remember of those. Ireland didn't see that coming, did we? Well, that's the thing. I mean, you didn't see that coming at all. England are playing Ireland. The Ireland team, you know, it's interesting because it's 88, so it was pre-90, which is Chat Charlton. He'd taken them on board. He sort of started to transform this Ireland team. You know, they were uh, industrious side, probably the best way to do it. So they worked really hard, worked really hard for the manager. They worked really hard as a team. But you didn't, you know, really think that Ireland are going to be too much of a bother. You know, Paddy Bonner in goal. You had Chris Hewton in the side, Mick McCarthy, of course, Ronnie, Ronnie Whelan, Paul McGrath, who are Paul McGrath, you know, yeah. Ray Hout, John Aldridge, Stapleton, you know, players like that who were sort of good staple players, you know, a few Liverpool players in there. They're all and, players and that, that we knew, weren't yeah, they? They were, but also, if you think about it, a lot of the players, you you knew them in those days because I suppose even though there's more football on TV now when football was on TV I think it was much more special so when these these games are on and you used to watch it I'm, I'm going to have to watch whatever it may be an England match or a, or a cup final match so these players actually I thought became bigger stars because the audiences everyone would be honed in to see them you know now I think football's much more fractured where you know some people watch Sky, the other people watch BT Sports, so it's a bit all over the place. So, yeah, those are, those are really big names. England, like I said, you had, you know, big names in there, Peter Shilton in goal, you know, Kenny Sampson, Gary Stevens, Umar Wright, you know, Brian Robson, you know, Captain Wonderful, like, you know, Peter Beers, Gary Lindley, you know, we had, a, we had a good team. But the fact is that Terry Butcher was actually um, absent in that first match. He was injured. So we right. had quite a young, relatively young sort of kind of, up and coming um, defence. They just, Violet Island, I mean, they were properly direct. They were just like, you know, route one, you know, let's just get the ball into the area and let's just cause problems type thing. And they, um, they did, they caused problems for us. They put this early free kick into the area, if I remember rightly. And it was, if you've seen it, it's an absolute car crash defending. <laughs> the ball comes in, you know, and I think that, I think there was a header that they got in, which, which which shouldn't have really happened. And then tried to clear it. And uh, Kenny Salveson then kicked the ball up into the air when he should have cleared it and then it landed. And then I think John Aldridge headed the ball to Ray Houghton, I think it was. And then he sort of kind of looped this sort of header beyond Peter Shilton and bang. And it's, uh, the Irish fans, there's absolute carnage, you know, they're just mayhem because they obviously didn't expect to beat England at all. They'd beaten them, beat them 1-0. And um, it took us about half an hour. No, it took us about the whole half pretty much to... Uh, to, to recover from that. And again, it was one of those ones where it was, you know, England could have come back. Gary Lineker actually missed three like really good chances, or you could say Paddy Bonner, you know, really good goalkeeping. So, uh, you know, one-on-ones with the keeper, you know, and, and didn't happen. it. And uh, yeah, Whelan hit, hit the crossbar for them as well. Uh, brilliant shot for about 25 yards. Hately came close as well. I think Glenn Hoddle was playing that's right. He had this free kick. He floated it into the area. And I think it's Mark Hately at a header, which, which was, close but we just didn't even get the equaliser that we thought we were going to get and I think apparently afterwards they said um, Gary Linick was suffering from hepatitis I don't know how true that was but that was that was a rumour that was flying around so uh, that knocked us six because again in these competitions as you know that was the last time that England were eliminated and correct me if I'm wrong because again I've done all my research really this is me talking just off the cuff here but at, at, at a group stage uh, and the next time after that was in Brazil in the World Cup, 
and 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 the way that that's happened is that you you lost your first match. So if you lose your first match, you realise that it really is backs up against the wall because you need to get a result in your second match or else you're in all sorts of trouble. So us losing that first game meant that you know that England really had to pull up and get a real result in the second match, which is Holland, which is going to be a lot trickier than the the Ireland match. So yeah, I, Holland. Before the tournament started, you thought, well, it'd be us and Holland going through. Uh, so we'd have to get a result against them based on that Ireland game. So, yeah, this, this was the game that we had to win. This was, this was. And it's a few days later, like I said to you, there wasn't much, there wasn't much respite for the players. No, they then. squeezed them in, didn't they? Yeah, this was, I think this game was played on the, 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 the Ireland game was on the Sunday. The Holland game was on the uh, on the fifteenth. It was it was the fifteenth. So that was like I think it was a Wednesday That's or something Wednesday. like that, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So you, could you imagine that? You know, so three days later. I mean, I think it's great. You know, it's like it's like the championship football. Like you know, we play Saturday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, or Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. A lot of of weeks, and you know, and and you just have to just put up with it. So it's quite exciting. You go into the game. There's not much kind of downtime. We played, it was in Dusseldorf. Again, I remember watching it with, with my mates at home, keeping my fingers crossed that my holiday wasn't going to go kaput. <laughs> yeah. You know? Big crowd as well, about, 60, six, about 65,000 or so, like, you know, in the stadium. The, the Dutch came down. You could see them, like, loads of orange, you know, as they do for these tournaments. It was a tight match. It was a good match. We hit the post twice, if I remember rightly, in the, I think, yeah. in the early stages. Yeah, we hit the post twice. Lineker um, and Hoddle, L- Lineker. Yeah. That's right. Lineker was through and he, he beat the goalkeeper. And I don't know how he hit the post after he was through. Um, it was like, oh, no. Right. And, and, and Hoddle as well. And then, but it was it was that man. And he would tell you something. He didn't even start the first match again because their first game, um, they played um, Soviet Union. This um, is Holland. Um, yeah. Holland so Holland played the Soviet Union in their first game. They, they just lost. Actually, the Soviet Union just beat them, um, which is a bit of a, you know, a bit of a surprise. So they actually they beat them. And, and Van Basten, right? was actually on the bench, if I think pretty much right. for, the, for that game. was on the bench for that game. So I think they took him off the bench for the uh, for the England game. He just um it's just quite bad. He just he just tore tore apart. It was it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Tony Tony Adams just got embarrassed completely embarrassed by him. He was just he was great. If you watch I think it's the second goal, there's a goal where they had I mean their team was uh, um Ronald Koeman, you know, Arnold Muren, Rude Hullet was a captain, Marco Van Basten Frank Reichard, like Jan Wouter, all of those people, and you know, I'm saying in the side, fantastic. There's a move where Ruth Hullet on the edge of the area, he kind of just does this nasty little kind of pullback skill and flicks it through to kind of Van Basten, bang, in the back of the net. It was just brilliant. I mean, they were just like, they were really fast. They're on the ball. Yeah, we could have um, potentially, probably, you could say, got a result from that game because it was tight um, to a extent. You know, they got the first goal with Van Basten, then um, Captain Marvel. Brian Robson yeah. sort of kind of came running through boom ball, puts the ball over the goalkeeper who's on the floor, and it's great. They've got the equaliser. So you thought, yeah, we're in here. But then after they just ramped it up sort of in towards the second, the back end of the second half. And the Dutch, you know, and they scored Van Basten scored up, you know, the final goal as well. And they were they were they were great. It was gutting because they obviously needed that that victory because they'd lost their first game. So they got the victory. We were out. 
at that stage. And can you imagine? I'm thinking, oh my god, I'm I'm going to be flying over to, you know, to to Germany tomorrow <laughs> or wherever it was, like you know, and or the day afterwards. And um, we're out of the competition, and I, there was a serious question going. It was a real fluff because, like I said to you, you just don't, as you know, people know, if you're doing a tournament, go there for the first match because it's always the best fun. Everyone thinks they're going to win. You know, you haven't lost or won or drawn any matches. You know, don't try and be too clever by saying, oh, yeah, like the Germans, easy for them to do it. I mean, I remember seeing the Germans in uh, in Japan and they we were going, um, Germany played, played Ireland. So I went to the Ireland-Germany game and I turned up for that match, right? And there was about three billion Irish and about, I counted them. I was counting eight hundred Germans, right? There was there was none of them, and there yeah. was no none of them in Tokyo. There was none of them in the you know on this train on the way up. There was none around the stadium. They were just nowhere. And and eventually, when you saw a German, everyone's going, "Oh, all the Irish are going, we've seen a German, we've seen a German," <laughs> because it's not funny because literally they were nowhere. After the game, they they won the, the late goal, if I remember rightly. So the eight hundred Germans were jumping up and down in this stadium, which is like you know, like I said, there literally were, must have been about twenty thousand Irish inside there. And uh, we got back on the train. We didn't see any Germans again. We went back into Tokyo, and we were out all night as everyone was in Rapongi having a laugh and standing up there chatting away. And all of a sudden, about four Germans walked past about three o'clock in the morning. So I went to them and um, I said, look, look, you know, I'm not having to go. It's cool, glad that you're out here. You, went, you know, went to the game today. Yeah, I said um. Why do? Why is there no one here? And they said, "Don't worry, we will be here for the final." And the way they said it with with such sort of confidence, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" And it's almost like we don't bother even come out for the early stages. We just sort of kind of come out from the quarterfinal on because we always know we're going to be there. And it really kind of angered me a little bit because I was thinking, "Ah, oh, the arrogance of the Germans." They can. The point I'm saying that is that they could do that but we can't. <laughs> so if you're an England fan, you know, you've always got to go out from the first match because you just never know how long your holiday is going to be. I made the, the massive fluff of, uh, of, like I said to you, of uh, booking the, the day after <laughs> England got eliminated from, from Euro 88. Well, so, so Frankfurt was your destination, wasn't it, for the USSR game? Yes. Well, so did you, were you considering not going? I did. I did consider... But then I thought, tell you what, look, you know, we're going to go out there, it's a football match, it's going to be a bit of a laugh, you know, I've paid for it anyway, paid for the hotel, let's just go and see, you know, let's just see what it's like. And also the other thing is also you have to consider as well, because there's obviously there was loads of uh, news going around about the trouble, there's a lot, a lot of trouble that was happening at Euro 88, you know, quite a lot of football violence everywhere. So, and, and there was a lot of right-wing affiliation to England right. as well. You know, the National Front had jumped on board and they were, you know, in certain sections. So me uh, travelling alone as a, as a Black England fan, I have to be, you know, I've, I've been to football a lot, so I'm, you know, I'm very streetwise, but at the same time, I have to be careful to know that, you know, you're going to be travelling in the right places, you've got people that have got your back and that kind of stuff. So I had to be a little bit careful, and especially going into Germany, which also had its proper and neo-Nazi kind of skinhead thing going on. So it was yeah. all a little bit kind of like, you have to be careful. But I thought, tell you what, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to have a little peep. So I remember getting the plane with my mate DLT. We landed, we, uh, Frankfurt Airport, we got the train into the station. And the first thing I remember, because I heard a lot of the information that a lot of the England fans were in the main square. So that's where they were. So we were going to go into town, have a look to see what's happening. Got into the station. And as we got off the train, there were literally like this, massive troop of kind of black shirted german skinheads like you oh. know and, and the thing is you know i i you know in them days i thought i tell you what i need to kind of <laughs> negotiate myself off this train make sure these guys don't see me and see if i can kind of get to wherever we're going 
So uh, I remember getting off the train, and all of a sudden, this guy comes up to me. He's going, and he started to have a go. And I saw him, and he had the shirt on, and it was sort of written in sort of kind of licking in, in a sort of permy ink sort of. You know, there's pens that you kind of you write on a whiteboard, and it oh, said yeah. Churchill was right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so he's kind of <laughs> he's got this t-shirt. He looked quite bedraggled, like he'd be you know he'd been sleeping rough for at least a couple of days. And so he just come. I got off the train. He comes up to me. He goes, "Oh yeah," and he started just really having a go at me. And, he's like, ah, and he started, and I thought, "What's the matter? What's the matter? Why is he having a go at me?" Ah, you. Then he said to me, "Yeah, you yank." And I said, "Yank? I'm not a yank. I'm an English." And he went, "English? Ah, oh, yeah, mate. Right, yeah." And then he started to hug me and shake <laughs> hands and things like that. And basically, Frankfurt was an American air base, so I think or, or, or right. a lot of Americans were based at Frankfurt. So basically, I was walking there ever because I was a black person in Frankfurt at the time. Everyone thought I was American. No one thought I was English. It was like really quite bizarre. So the, this English character kind of was having a go at me because he thought I was some sort of American serviceman, you know, and he just started to sort of hurl abuse at me. So I, I thought this is a really quite strange start to my uh, to my holiday. <laughs> you know, I've got a, a bunch of sort of streamlining sort of skinhead um, Germans at one end of the platform and this little young character just abusing me. So I said to DLT, tell you what, DLT, let's forget going to Frankfurt. We jumped back on the train and we ended up in this place called Heidelberg, which is about half an hour south of Frankfurt. And we just decided to plot ourselves up there instead. So we stayed in Heidelberg. It's a, a little student town. And we went there, found a little hotel place, put our stuff down in the hotel. I remember just coming out afterwards and we went to the local bar. And this is kind of like so reminiscent of kind of like what your cruise experience is about. We come and we sat in the bar and all of a sudden, you know, in Heidelberg, it was probably the best way to sort it. It wasn't, it was really kind of quite mellow. And a lot of people who were at the Euros who decided that they didn't want to be in the thick of the action, but still wanted to be in Germany, but wanted to just kind of hang out and just have a bit of a laugh and, you know, not to get too involved in just whatever else is going on. We're also in this. Also, you're sitting in this bar and next minute beside you, you've got another guy from England, another guy from England, a couple of guys from Ireland. And it's that usual thing where like basically everyone's in the bar. And so you have one beer, two beers, three beers. And by the end of the evening, you know, you're all chatting away and you all become mates. And uh, the funny thing is that, I mean, I met all these guys there and I've got no idea what any one of their names is because, you know, I was Brentford. You know, I was sitting there talking to Charlton, you know, my mate DLT Charlton. You know, I remember talking to Wolves. And so everyone just had had a club. So everyone, all right, Wolves, how you doing? You want to pipe Wolves? Yeah, yeah, Brentford. Right. Oh, cheers, mate. I'll have a lager, you know. So, So that was it. And then the Irish guys came in as well. And there was no animosity there's no problems with them Every, all the english were staying in the in their ho- in the hotels and bmps the irish were staying with a campsite so you know so they'll, they'll kind of go hey jesus how are you doing okay i want to drink so they'll come in so we're all drinking with them and it was just brilliant you know it's a really great atmosphere and i just thought oh this is really lovely because i'm hearing all this news about trouble and violence which i'm sure there were in different pockets but what they didn't show you is what's happening here in this bar with lots of different England fans who didn't want to get involved in any nonsense whatsoever, just wanted to have a laugh, mixing with the Irish and just, you know, just, you know, having jokes and whatever it may be. And I just thought, oh, this, I'm quite feeling this vibe, you know what I'm saying? So, and I had two days of that before the um, the actual match itself. And I just thought, you know, I, I, I got the travel bug, the bug for sort of traveling to, to international football just from, uh, from that two days before the, before the match. Because uh, if anything, the match kind of probably spoiled the, the weekend because, uh, you know, as we, as we try and say, you know, kick football out of football. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
We didn't quite kick football out of football. I think England almost uh, kicked themselves out of football that tournament. But yeah, it was it was great anyway. What are your memories of the game? Because there's a, a particular book that we've we've mentioned before, and it is edited by by a good friend of yours, David Lane, England Till I Die, that, that you mention about the game and seeing some well-prepared tanks. Yeah, so bad. So we basically, I think the day of the game, we jumped on the train, we went into Frankfurt, we had a few beers and stuff like that. And then after that, we went made our way to the stadium. And, and also, to all I remember about Frankfurt, and, and forgive me if I'm wrong, I vaguely remember it's kind of where the stadium was. There was a sort of kind of forest or a green area outside it, you know what I'm saying? So I started to walk towards the stadium, and then all of a sudden, there was a tank. There literally was a tank sort of kind of outside the stadium there. You know, the Germans had taken the sort of security to, to another level, that there was actually a tank outside the stadium, which I just thought was absolutely bonkers. Like I said, I remember that. I remember us being uh, going for the turnstiles. We were in the side bit, if I remember rightly. So we weren't behind the goal. I'm pretty sure, sure yeah, we were in the side bit. And I remember seeing the game. I mean, the, the figure, the atmosphere was, was so flat. But everyone was there, but they didn't really want to be there. You know, they'd just been beaten two matches. We had to play yeah. the Soviet Union. Obviously, this, this is the Soviet Union, which was, you know, the USSR. It's a country which was, you know, elsewhere. Probably there was probably visa restrictions and all sorts of stuff associated with the USSR. However, the whole stadium, other than our little section, seemed to be Russian. You know, they seemed to have let the whole of Russia out just for this one match. You know what I'm saying? Really? Basically, yeah, right. They weren't Russian at all. They were all the Germans. So the Germans were like, you know, basically the Germans had turned Russian for the day. Uh... So, um, yeah, so that was that's the one thing that I remember. So basically, I remember, you know, we kind of just gave away some sort of fairly soft goals. You know, I think Mikhailichenko scored one of their goals as well, who was kind of quite a quite a famous player. But you know, back in them days, there he was. You know, he played for them. But um, we saw some soft goals. Up, but every time you know they scored the goal, the whole stadium just erupted. Now that game was my first experience of the Mexican wave. If you think about it, the Mexican wave hadn't actually, it wasn't actually that um that old. It, uh, Mexican wave started, if I remember rightly, in World Cup 86 in Mexico. So, so it's that two whole years idea. previous. Yeah, two years previous. So that whole idea, everyone got up. So, oh, well, hey. so that started sort of two years. I mean, obviously, they've been doing it for years, probably in that area. But that's when it sort of started. So the next tournament, it's come. And the Mexican wave became part of the, the, you know, of things that happened. And but it was, you know, obviously football was a lot less touristy in those days. It was kind of pretty much for the hardcore. You know, for me, getting the tickets for this match. I mean, I remember the get, I remember getting tickets for say this match, and also I remember getting tickets for the the World Cup semi final in Turin. And literally, what I did is I went down to sixteen Lancaster Gate which is where the FA was. And oh, yeah. I knocked at the door and I said, excuse me, I'd like a ticket for the game. And they went, oh, right, here you go. It's 10 quid or whatever it is. And just paying the money. And that literally, that was, that was how you got a ticket. <laughs> I think, um, I think in 1990, they started the England Supporters Club, as it was called. You just kind of signed up to this England Supporters Club and basically it just allowed you. I mean, you know, I've had tickets all the way through to the final for every tournament since 1990 but at that one you literally just went what do you want and you went oh, yeah, the final semi-final and they gave you these little voucher stubs so you've got these voucher stubs you know for the semi-final final which i've kept till very recently till i moved house and i've i've lost them as well but, oh. um, so that was a score i know i'm a bit gutted but um but yeah so that's what you that's what you got for um so, so to get in a ticket for the game was was, was, was ridiculously easy so like i said to you it's, it's easy to get to the match and, and i'm talking about this mexican wave 
like I said to you, it, uh, I was talking about the crowd because the crowd is, you know, more industrial, as we say to you, it's less touristy, more industrial because it, ju- it just wasn't called going to football in those days. It really wasn't. So anyone who wanted to go could go. You know, if you if you call me up and said, look, Bill, I, I fancy going to, you know, World Cup semi-final, you know, you could literally just say, OK, I'll get you a couple of tickets. And it, was, it was as easy as that back in the day because uh, we hadn't gone through that whole kind of post-Gaza when he started trying at the semi-final mm. and then everyone started going, well, actually, football's quite good. And then it started to get much more popular. So they started the wave in the stadium, um, but the, the wave was done by, you know, by more proper football fans so it wasn't quite like the sort of family type wave that you get in at Wembley at the moment now you know it's like so they're doing the wave the wave goes all the way around and remember the wave all the way around the stadium see it and then when it came to the England section it it just stopped and (laughs) there's nothing nothing and then the England fans started flicking basically started flicking Wenger signs towards the, the the Russian stroke Germans who are over there and so the wave stopped for a little bit and then afterwards the Germans stroke Russians started singing and then it started the wave started all the way went all the way around the stadium and came to the very end came to the England section stopped wanker signs and that just carried on going on like you know for about 20 minutes it was a good and that's the first time I've ever seen the wave where obviously the, and the wave was just not it was not taken at all by the England fans. And I just remember the Vida's lane and the Russian flag sighing. And I was thinking, God, these, these Russians, they've, they've learned German really quickly, haven't they? So, <laughs> yeah. So, I'm, so that's what I, that, that was probably my abiding memory of the match just being, being heckled by the German Russians, um, the, the Mexican wave and three really soft goals, a tank outside the stadium. And well, just wanted to get back to our, our hotel in Heidelberg to get more beers. And uh, yeah, so that was it really. So you left, sort of, uh, with, as England did, with their tails between their legs. Did you? Uh, did you come straight back home, or did you? Did you stay out there for a little bit longer and, and watch any more? No, no. I mean, I stayed. We, we came back home after that. I mean, the, uh, the semi-finals. I think the following Tuesday and Wednesday. Wednesday were uh, Soviet Union played Italy, and uh, West Germany played the Netherlands. And I, 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 I mean, I had no interest in seeing. You know, I had no interest in seeing any of them. I mean, I didn't want to see the Soviet Union again, to be quite honest with you. Italy in those days, even though everyone loved them. I mean, they're the, you know, you talk about the names now. Walter Senga in goal. You had players like, you know, Paolo Mandini. You've got Carlo Ancelotti inside the side. Uh, Roberto Mancini, Gianarca Viali. You know, I mean, it's like all these players that you kind of heard of and everyone was used to kind of, they used to love the Italians, you know, in those days. But I'm just, I just, you know, I was one of those ones where it's, I was kind of a little bit, this is my team, so I'm not kind of really interested in going off to see another team play. So we decided... We decided to head back. Listen, we had, we had a great few days. The football, you know, we lost, but it was still a bit of a laugh. And uh, and I, I got my first taste of international football. And you know, a little bit impressive with the police and the the, the vibe and the atmosphere. Um, there was no, I didn't see any problems whatsoever. Like, didn't see one bit of problems after that. But that really just gave me the taster for going to to, to watch England more. So after that, I um I, I plotted myself right up for uh, for World Cup Italia '90. And, the start uh, of a uh, a beautiful journey. That's right. Yeah, it was indeed. Yeah. So let's let's fast forward then to to later on this year as the Euros are sort of it's it's home based, but there's the the chance that we could be going on a couple of European jaunts. What's your take on on later on this year? How do you think it's going to go? 
Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one because I must admit, when I heard that the Euros is going to be in all the other countries, I was really gutted because I, I really love this whole idea. When I met my, my wife, <laughs> who's, who's been fantastic, obviously, she's great because she just lets me go to loads of football. And I, I'm lucky I work for myself. Better, first of all, I said, look, just to let you know, um, every two years, I can't just go away for like three or four weeks <laughs> not you know to some sort of country somewhere because that's just what i do for football and she's at the time she's like that's fine that's great yeah eight tournaments later she's kind of <laughs> she's kind of a lot a little bit like you know okay, you've got kids now you know, we need to kind of work out this kind of how this is going to work but the european championships initially i was gutted because i was thinking oh god you know normally we you know we'll go off to germany for a couple of weeks or we'll you know we'll go backwards and forwards but you, you know the fact it's in this one country and because it's in that one country everyone goes to that one country so if you know you go to hamburg you've got you know a certain set of fans down there then if you go to another a country you know another town you know you go to berlin then there's another set of fans there and it's all a right laugh i thought you're not gonna have any of this it's not gonna be the same and i was a bit gutted but then i think what happens is as a football fan you learn to adapt and you think right how can we make this as fun as possible so first of all you get used to the fact that you know you're going to be playing at Wembley for most of your matches the first three matches anyway are at Wembley which means that for me it means it's like you know an hour you know on a tube to get to the match which is not near nearly as much fun as you know you booking a flight even the night before or two nights before spending a couple of nights before a night of the game maybe and coming back that's not nearly as much fun so you think okay what can I do in and around that Wembley thing to make it a little bit more than just 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 turning up and waking up in the morning and then just going out to Wembley, which is what you'd normally do for any other Wembley match. But then what we decided to do is that we're taking the punt that we thought like, England are going to be playing in Copenhagen or Dublin and Rome and St. Petersburg. So we thought, look, if they finish third, then we've, we've had a terrible tournament and we can't account for that one. So we've decided that we're flying over to Copenhagen regardless. So we go right. in there for the weekend flying there on the Friday, just like you would do for Euros, spending Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Copenhagen. And then we're actually flying from Copenhagen to Dublin, assuming that England actually are going to finish top and then from Dublin back to London. So you've got a bit of a weekender there. One of our mates who travels all of us, he actually lives out in Copenhagen and he's flying over. But we've also got a contingency flight back from Copenhagen back to London on the Monday, just on the Tuesday, just in case we finish second and we would just have to bin the island flight. So we've kind of got this whole Copenhagen, Dublin holiday thing all sort of mapped out for us. And that's our kind of Euro holiday. And then the other one, I think we're going to probably, yeah, well, we're going to book Rome, try to see if we can get there as cheap as possible. If it doesn't happen, then we'll bin those tickets. St. Petersburg, I don't know, it's a, it's a bit too expensive to take a punt on that one. And I think if we finish second, we'll just have to have to see about that and, uh, and may have to bite the bullet. I don't know. So that's it. But that's the that's the military planning that you have to go through uh, as an England fan to try and get all these bases covered. Because yeah. uh, as you know, if, if you if you do things a lot closer to the time, it becomes a lot more expensive. But you know, the the idea of losing a forty quid flight to to Copenhagen, I'm, I'm not too. You're not saying I'm minted, but you know, it's better than you know having to spend three hundred and fifty quid for a return flight to Copenhagen a bit nearer the time. So that's the kind of things we've done. So we, and it gives us a little bit of a a little bit of a holiday out of it. And I think my business, like I said to you, has been absolutely brilliant with me. It will probably, you know, allow me one weekend away, um, you know, of fun rather than the four that I normally have. And uh, Rome, I'm a little bit nervous about to be honestly, because uh, the police out there are a little bit moody and the, the local fans, particularly, uh, as you know, they, they get just a bit angry. But as you know, as England fans, we, we're quite used to that. And um, you just have to just kind of, you know, just find your 
find your places to go and just, just make sure that you keep your keep your wits about you, I suppose, because um, it's just it's really unfortunate because, you know, like I said to you, I've been, I've been a lot and, of course, there are there's always, you know, people, you know, idiots everywhere. But in general, you know, people that follow England, there's a great set of fans, great set of people. And, and it's just annoying that the whole time when you go away, you you always have to kind of watch it back because it's sometimes on the other side, it's just that they just see you as a, uh, not as an easy target, but a bit, bit of a bit of a trophy sometimes as well. Like you know, and most people they just don't realise that we're not not even bothered. They just want to go and have a bit of a holiday, have a bit of a laugh, watch their team play, and come back home. So um, you know, some places are great, like Kosovo, different different gravy, brilliant. You know, they treat you with the right attitude, and it's really fantastic. You know, so places like that are really great. But you know, sort of shied away of going to watch England play in Italy just because I just the moody police for me. I'm just I just find that. They're a little bit. They just find them a little bit scary, and I hope they've got their uh, their acting gear when we come down there, and they're not so reactive as they they as they tend to be. Because um, the English police, to be fair to them, they try and give these uh, international police forces a little bit of advice on how they should go about their policing and be a little bit more softly, softly, and be a little bit more humane about it. But a lot of them are not interested, and they just like to just kind of wade in at any opportunity. And I'm not trying to put a downer or anything like that, but I'm just saying that, you know, Italy, just, you know, just watch yourselves if if you're going out there because they're just not very happy in general. But there's lovely Italian people, lovely Italian people, and they're great. Wow. Let's, Let's hope we're not talking that come later on in the year. Mate, it's really good chatting to you as well, mate. I love the podcast, love everything that you're doing, and uh, and it's just great. And hopefully, England, you know, we've got a, we've got a great team out there. You know, we've got a great attacking force, and you know, all we need, I think, is a little bit of luck. If we get a little bit of luck and a little bit of rubber the green, you know, this tournament, you know, we could uh, we could have a lot of fun. I think. Let's hope so. And one, once more, go on, besotted. Go on, give it a quick plug. Yeah, we're besotted podcast, B W E S O T T E D. So we're a Brentford podcast fanzine blog, you know, all that stuff as well. But also, uh, if you look checking out there, we've got videos. I've put up some of my England video blogs as well. So I think I've got Russia up there. I've got the France uh, Euro 2016 up there. And I've got Brazil as well, 2014. I think that might have gone up there. Or you'll be able to find some of the Brazil stuff up there as well. And also, I've got some uh, stuff that we've taken and just goes to show you how i used to be carrying a video camera before the days of camera phones i think i've got a video up there from world cup 98 as well i took about 20 hours of footage in 98 so uh i was at the game when england played argentina um when uh when when we 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 should have we should have won and uh and uh, david beckham got sent off so i've got you know i've got all of that you know england argentina footage um yeah i've got quite a few bits and pieces i'm gonna have to uh have to seek that one out now so listen, yeah, good good chatting to you anyway, Russ, man. Likewise, Billy Grant, thank you very much for your time. Thanks to Billy Grant there for his memories of Euro 88. Now, I hope you've enjoyed it. An 18 tournament. Would you prefer that this summer? Rather than the 24 we'll have, get it over in two weeks or string it out for over a month. That final in 1988 between Holland and the USSR saw Rud Hullet, his header with his dreadlocks flying through the air, and then that Van Basten volley from the acute angle meant a 2-0 win to the Dutch and their first international trophy. What were your memories of that tournament? Let me know on Twitter. You can find me at Three Lions Podcast or search Facebook 
for the Three Lions podcast group. And as I mentioned in the previous 1980 episode, I found the inspiration for the series of Euro podcasts from an England book called England Till I Die, edited by David Lane. Uh, You should find it on the likes of eBay and Amazon. Billy and more of his stories, well, they feature in it, and indeed, so do many other England supporters' stories. That was Euro 88, the second in this series of England at the European Championships. Sweden 1992 is coming soon with another fan who travelled. Previous Three Lions podcast episodes, well, they're still available. Just search your podcast provider or take a look at threelionspodcast.com. Plus, I'd be grateful if you could leave a little positive review on the likes of iTunes or Spotify. means that the podcast gets a little more exposure and more people have the opportunity to find it. So until the next time, cheers! Cheers!